back to On the Mic with Mike Peters. My guest this week is Mark Riccadonna, who got his start in stand-up in New York City in 2002. He's in Ambler, Pennsylvania now, but he's still extremely busy. He's an actor, a director, and he travels all over the country as a comedian. He grew up in Youngstown, Ohio, and he's going to be at the Rubber City Comedy Festival in Akron on May 4th and 5th. Holy shit, did I have fun talking to Mark. We talked about the movie Major League, which everyone should see, three times, at a minimum. We talked about why comedians make good villains, and how to disappoint an entire room by just being yourself. This is by far one of my favorite episodes. You are going to love Mark Riccadonna. Please like, share, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Sign up for the Patreon. It's only five bucks a month. Also, follow Homebrewed Comedy on Facebook and go to homebrewedcomedy.com to see all of my show dates. Thanks again. I'll talk to you guys next week. Take care. Peeling back my sunburnt skin I'll wait outside your bedroom I, I hope they let me in Yeah, it's weird because like this and Zoom or StreamYard, it feels really weird. Like now going back out and being in front of real people, it's like, oh yeah, we can still do this. Oh, I know. <laughs> it's it's so much nicer. Did you do a lot of Zoom stuff? Tons. Yeah. We actually had a um we w- went to break the world record for the longest stand-up show. We went four days straight, but um Guinness did decided they took our money. And then decided not to have someone witness it. <laughs> so they took our money, but we never got the record, even though we we beat it by like a day. And then when we every time we email them back, they're like, well, well, we didn't have somebody there to witness it. And we're like, it's kind of not our fault. <laughs> like, How much did you have to pay? Uh, I think you have to pay like fifteen hundred bucks. You're kidding me. Yeah, the, the check was cleared. They took the money. They knew we were doing it. Oh, my God. I knew you needed the witness, but I didn't know that it cost you actual money. Yeah. And then if we wanted to advertise with their logo, it was like 10 grand. It's a big money making bullshit. That's crazy. I, I, I want to know if those two fat twins on the motorcycles had to pay. <laughs> <laughs> Were they, you know what I'm talking about? Or the guy oh, yeah. with all the oh, bees on him? I know. I wouldn't have remembered the bees guys. Now I do. But the one that <laughs> sticks out almost more than the twins is the guy with the long fingernails. Oh, they're so gross. Oh, I know. Looking. Like, like I don't know if he's from India or that part of the, like, Bangladesh, something like that. But, like, oh, God, it was awful. Imagine how bad it smelled. Yeah. Like, what do you do? Like, how do you wipe your ass? That, Honey? Like the, yeah, basically. <laughs> you got to be in really tight with somebody. But I couldn't imagine. That guy's got to be, like, a freak show, can't it? Like, like hey, pay yeah. $5 to look or, or touch my nails or something like that. There's got to yeah. be something. Smell them. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, I mean, something gross, but like <laughs> you have to market that. I mean, cause you can't do anything else. Yeah. Well, you, you're going to lose your job as a mechanic. <laughs> <laughs> They're curled that much. You can't even fish. I mean, like, yeah. Yeah. It's the one tangible thing you could have done, <laughs> but it's too long. <laughs> I don't know, man. That's, that's awful. Well, oh. so how, how have you been acclimating to getting back out in front of people? I mean, I assume you've been out for like the last year. Yeah. I was just talking to Tom Cotter today. I'm so happy that even like 
the bullshit that you go through like at an airport and travel nightmare stuff yeah. that's just been like horrible pains in the ass and i'm like don't complain you're back out in the real world yeah there's no reason to complain just put up with it i'm happy to be working i'm hoping the new variant or whatever's going on in europe doesn't come over here or stop us from working i just want to continue working i'm happy it's hard for me <laughs> to believe that like we would ever shut down again Ah, there would be blood in the streets. Even whatever side you're on, you're like, no, we're not doing that again. We're not yeah. we're not going to go hang out with our family again. We've already <laughs> done that. To me, it was like uh, when everybody started opening up. Yeah. Like, you know, my wife's super cautious. Her, her father's a Vietnam veteran who has a lot. He's very susceptible to, you know, to everything. But they got all the shots and the kids got their shots and. And, you know, she was still like, well, they should still wear masks in case and we should still. I'm kind of under the inf you had your opportunity to get your shots. It's yep. not like you didn't know. So if you get it, you you know, it's supposedly a lot worse. If you didn't get the shots, you kind of knew. Yeah. It's hard to feel bad for anybody at this point. Yeah. it's like And if you didn't want to get the shots, that's fine. And you want to go out, that's fine. I am not judging you. I don't care if you got them or not. But everybody had the opportunity to get them that got them where I believe when you didn't have an opportunity yet because they were still doing working on it and taking care of the more susceptible people that there had to be something in place. But now you had your opportunity. If you didn't yeah. get them and you wanted it, man, you're not good. At, uh, <laughs> you're a pro procrastinator. The people I don't understand are the athletes who aren't getting their vaccines, the shots and like holding out of games and game checks more importantly for principle. And I don't know if I'm like, maybe I'm a lesser person than them because oh, I'm, I'm like, you. man, you're going to withhold $120,000 or $1.6 million per game. I'm getting that fucking shot. Like, yeah. I don't care what's in the needle at that point. Give yeah. it to me. I, I want my money. I would, I, if you told me you're going to shoot me up with poison, it wasn't even a, a shot, but that you're going to give me that money. I'd be like, let's do that. <laughs> I'm, I'm game. The, the amount of money it would take me to sell out is probably ridiculously low <laughs> to what most people would do because I would, I would do it in a heartbeat. You know, I mean, think about it. we're comics. We, I know we talk about our flaws, the most embarrassing things to happen to us our perspective on things with the possibility of everybody in the crowd thinking you're an idiot because of how you see things or, you know, obviously we're doing it for humor, right, but right. we really put ourselves out there to be vulnerable just to make some money. And sometimes, <laughs> sometimes not even the money. <laughs> yeah. like just it, the validation. Yeah. <laughs> I just did a show where four comedians, <laughs> we had a great show. And at the end, the venue gave us $30 all together. And I'm like, Oh shit. I forgot about <laughs> this. This, what it's like. <laughs> yeah. this is what it's like being in a band. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh. fuck, I got to split it with the bass player. He I just know. played one note the whole time. I can't imagine ska bands. I'm a huge ska and punk fan. Yeah. And like, I'm like, man, I love, I love a band like green day. And then I think financial, I'm like, Oh yeah, three people. Oh, they're going to bring a fourth or a fifth guy to tour, man. That money is getting tight. And then you see like a nine piece ska band, like mighty, mighty Boston's, had a guy who just danced on stage 
And I'm like, you're going to pay that guy? <laughs> the way he dressed, he looked like he was getting a lion share. I know. I'm like, my Lord. <laughs> like, I mean, like, the zoot suit dry cleaning yeah. alone. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's incredible. Like, uh, I don't know how bands do it. And I'll, I'll get a venue in place. And like my budget is like 300 or 400 or whatever I think I can get. And an owner will be like, how are you going to pay people with that? I'm like, shit, I could ask for more, I guess. But I'm like, no, we're, we're so used to like doing things for drink chips that yeah. if I'm like, Hey man, I can give you 75 and give you a hundred. I can give you 125. It's like fucking Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I would sell out for nothing. Yeah. Selling out is, I mean, shit, I already sold out. I don't have any more to, to give. <laughs> We're whores. We're whores. When did you start doing stand-up? Uh, it was, I believe, around 2002. I was working at a comedy club, uh, Stand Up New York, and I was uh, just got out of acting school, and I started hanging out with comics. And I really liked hanging out with comics more than actors. And next thing I know, you know, you hang around them long enough. You hang around the drug dealers long enough, you eventually start doing drugs. Yep. <laughs> they were daring me to do it you know ah, just go up tonight just go up just try it and secretly i was writing every night but i didn't tell anybody i was too nervous mm -hmm. so then one time i kind of got push come the shove and a comic didn't show up but i was the door guy and usually door guys are comedians and they do it for stage time yeah so they're like just go up regadana just go if you go up and do five minutes i'll go up and do my whole set on anything you name and i was like all right and I went up and they were like, you kind of had, you kind of put thought into this. Like you <laughs> seemed a little rehearsed, not off the cuff. You were found <laughs> out. I immediately fessed up. I'm like, I've been, since I started working here, I've been writing stuff. I was just too afraid to do it. And uh, the first time went great. Then there was like six months of death. <laughs> <laughs> That's <laughs> a that fun was, time. I oh, mean, that it, first it time. sucks. The first time is so like my first time was amazing. And then the second time was pretty good. Third time sucked. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, no. And then like, like I don't know. I, I think it was like up and down. But like that first yeah. six or seven months where you think you have it figured out, but you don't. And you're like, yeah. oh, like I think that's I've like been watching comedy long enough to know how it works. <laughs> yeah, and then you get up there and you're like, I have no idea yep, what's happening. None. Because you, you watch comics. And this is partially why I think this generation that's just bubbling up now gets harshly judged is because the access they have between podcasting being online and you can watch any comedian there's some video of them they all think that they have it figured out so they go in a little more arrogant than the generations before them who are scared shitless so they go in with a little bit more attitude and then they get their ass handed to them and old people can't wait to you know point out that the youngsters you know, right. see, not so easy, is it? <laughs> and I feel like the younger generation gets harshly, harsherly, harsherly. They get judged worse <laughs> than the other ones. I like how you pivoted. Like, okay, cool. I tried. We'll just switch words. <laughs> <laughs> I'll find myself never... doing that. Like, at, at an open mic, I want everybody to do well. Yeah. But you can tell who's cockier than the others. And like, someone's a little cocky, there's a little smile <laughs> underneath when they bomb. It was well, it was a few months ago where I'm going to the bar and in this bar, uh, Kelly's right. I run a mic there. 
it just wraps around the whole room. So I'm on one side of the bar and I'm watching and listening to this guy who's like, oh yeah, I'm funnier. I'm really good. You'll see me. And I'd never seen him before. And I was like, all right, we'll see. (laughs) So that's just what I said. And he wasn't talking to me. I just overheard it. I'm like, okay, cool. He lasted maybe 35 seconds. And he was like, that's all I got. (laughs) And in the back, I'm like cheering in my head. I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's what I thought, you motherfucker. Like, it's a lot harder than you thought. (laughs) Well, everybody watches like Robin Williams on stage improvising. They're like, I can do that. I do that with my friends all the time. But then you go up and you're not put in a situation where you're with your friends. You're by yourself. Right. There's a light on you and everybody's looking at you like, okay, be funny now. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden you go to like do a joke and they're not your buddy. No, they don't. They're not with you. You know what I mean? They're they're kind of like, all right, be funny. And when you're with your buddies at the bar or who said it, the, your living room funny? Yeah, yeah. When, you, when you're with them and you make a joke that doesn't work, somebody else just talks and you, nobody even knows that your joke fell flat. But when you're on stage by yourself and everybody's staring at you and you go to make a joke and nobody laughs, it's painful. Yeah. Because there's nobody to cover you. You just, I, oh, fuck. Now I what? T- I tell the newer comedians too. Because you see it when they're new, they have a lot of friends who come out and support them. And I'm like, okay, enjoy that time. Because eventually, (laughs) first of all, you think you're better than you are right now because your friends are supporting you. And that's awesome. I'm really happy they're supporting you. But eventually, they ain't coming to the show. Yeah. And you're going to go to a show out of town. You're like, wait, why didn't that joke work so well? Oh, (laughs) it's because nobody knows who Uncle Steve is. Right. (laughs) And it's like, like, I do that too because like, at my open mic, everybody knows me. So I'm in a lot of the rooms I have, there's a danger of like, because I host a lot of my shows or all of my shows, yeah. really, that that audience, if it's a regular audience, they'll get to know me and they'll give me the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. If I go to a new place where they don't know me, that's where you test your jokes. You're like, okay, are they good? Or do people just like me? Like, <laughs> it's always it's always a weird balance for me. Well, that is also a trick. I, I mean, for me, I try to get the audience to like me and be, be an everyman. And after shows, it's a big compliment to me when people go, you remind me of my uncle Steve or, yeah. you know, my my cousin. Once they like you, you can get away with more. Yep. So, like, you know, I kind of I work pretty clean. I can work squeaky clean and do, you know, like when I do Disney cruise ships, I have to do three half hour shows that are squeaky, squeaky clean. And they all, they all have to be different. But if I'm doing a bar show, obviously I'm going to do different stuff. But if I can get you to like me, I can get away with a lot more. Right. So, I mean, just for instance, just because it's everything in the news, like Chris Rock and Will Smith had shit going back and forth for a while. You know, so when he made a side comment, it wasn't even a joke. It was a side comment. Will yeah. Smith got pissed. But if they were buddies... If they've worked together and they've, you know, whatever, and he made that exact same joke, they would have went, oh, yep. So if you get people to like you, you can kind of push the envelope. I mean, that's something about Rich Voss that he gets away with stuff on paper. If you tell somebody, oh, he said this joke, you're like, and how did nobody get up and throw something at him? (laughs) You mean he got a you know an applause break from that line? Oh my god! And it's like, yeah, because you like him, right? There's something about him that you just like that he's like this curmudgeon. Says Don Rickles, everybody likes him. He could get away with it. 
he could say whatever he wanted. And people yeah. like, like he had, but he had like 60 years of goodwill. Yeah. And I, yeah, think, yeah. I think a lot of people forget about that. Like, like everybody at the open mic wants to be Bill Burr. They want to be Louis CK. They want to be Patrice O'Neill. But like those guys weren't those guys right when they started. Yeah. Like exactly. they had to, they were trying to be Lenny Bruce and they couldn't do it because they didn't have enough equity. And now <laughs> Bill Burr can say whatever the fuck he wants. One, because he's a pretty good comedian. Uh, yeah. Two, he knows how to work. and he's got that stock. You're not going to do that in your second mic. Yeah. Oh, that's, and everybody's like, well, you know, whatever. I, when I first started, everybody talked about Bill Hicks, like, well, Bill Hicks says this. And it's like, yeah, but you forgot. He also did an hour of really funny shit. Yeah. Before he got to the really dark shit. Yeah. So they're already on his team. (laughs) So now when he goes dark, they go, Oh, okay. Now we're going there. I mean, it makes sense. It's like an easy lesson because like, I remember I did, I had a joke I liked a lot and I, it was about like, I think it should be legal to hunt people at Walmart. <laughs> like one customer, like make it like the purge. <laughs> like, and I think it's a fine joke, but I led with it. Ooh, yeah. You're right. And I was like, oh yeah. And some, a buddy of mine is like, you should try putting that a little bit deeper in the set and see how it works. And it changed the tone Everything. of the set completely. They and don't like, know oh, you it makes yet. Sense. It, and it, that's exactly what I tell people. I'm like, I'm like, you don't have it yet. I mean, it's like George Carlin. You know, when he started, some of his early specials were like, you know, how do you know when a moth farts? Like, yeah. And then he graduated. Jumbo shrimp. Right. And then-, <laughs> and then he graduated to, you know, abortion. And like he would lead off with a one-liner about rape. It's like, yeah, he didn't start with that in like 1968. Yeah, 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 yeah. And now, you know, his last special was so dark and it was like dark philosophy. And people still love it because it was George Carlin. Right. And they already know. The best example I've ever seen of this is Louis C.K. Because I watched him when he was struggling. He was a writer at Conan Mm -hmm. and he would come in the stand up New York and he basically asked for guest spots. He wasn't even so weird on the lineup. (laughs) <laughs> like he was, yeah, it was like everyone knew he was a good comic because he could yeah. write, you know, whatever. But he was going up against guys who were like really hitting it, you know, really, right. you know, tough crowd guys who everybody knew. So he was basically asking for work. And then you look at fast forward years later, like he could open his set with my daughter's a cunt mm-hmm. and people go, oh, what'd she say? Because yeah. they know. <laughs> Because they know from his other specials, him talking about his kids, that he loves his kids. And so he's not really being mean. It's funny that somebody who loves his daughter so much would say that. Yeah. And it's because we know who he is, where if he let off with that 20 years ago, people would go, this guy's awful. Yeah. Like, what a horrible person. But watching him grow throughout the years, you obviously understand that he loves his kids. So when he does say something like that, it's funny. I mean, comedy is such a specific thing and everybody tries to think they have a formula to it. And it's like, it's not really a formula. It's a lot of figuring out what you have that makes you stand out, figuring out what makes you work. A great example is it was at the Brigada and I can't remember who the comic was. There's a bunch of old women in the front. Everyone thinks of the Brigada as like this young, hip, whatever, but Monday to Wednesday, it's a lot of really old people. And they used to ask you to be clean. You know, it's an older crowd. Can't remember who it was. He said something like, oh, I can't tell this joke 
it's a blowjob joke. Look at uh, this is an older crowd and the old woman in the front row because he was killing. Yeah. The old woman in the front row goes, go ahead. We invented blowjobs. <laughs> <laughs> but if he would have came out and just said blowjob joke, they probably would have. Oh, he's so crass. Yeah. yeah. But he got them to like him. Yep. Once they like you, they feel like they're in on something. Especially with storytellers. Like you're a storyteller, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So like, like I think uh, a guy like Mike Birbiglia for me, oh, he's, he's so he's, good. He's my favorite. And I think. He's the kind of guy like like I tried to be him early and I was like, oh, yeah, nobody cares about me. Like <laughs> like I tried to come in with like Mike Birbiglia's third special enthusiasm and like, yeah. oh, yeah, but, but I don't have any of the history. Like they don't know my friends. <laughs> you know? But but he's a guy where I'm like, I would kill to be him because now he brings he calls his wife Chloe. Her name's Jen, but we all know her as Chloe because we're invested yeah. in his storyline. Like Joey Bag of Donuts, we know that's his brother. And like, yeah. I mean, it's like I aspire to be that level. Like, I don't care about yeah. the jokes so much. I, I mean, I would love to have his jokes, but to have that. To be able to just come out and be you. Yes, right away, where, which, where I didn't have to spend the first five minutes telling you, hey, I'm a good setting guy. Setting it up. Yeah. There's a, I mean, there's a large chunk of my set that I don't. I still love the jokes. I still enjoy them. I really want to stop telling. I, I don't like opening every show with the top 10 minutes mm -hmm. because I almost feel like in my head, I'm going, all right, let's just get this out of the way so I can get to the stuff I want to get to. But nobody knows who I am. Right. So when I go out, I have to present. This is my wife. These are my kids. This is my parents. This is my in-laws. So now you know all the players in the movie. Now I can tell you stories and make the movie, but I have to do all this and make it funny. So you a trust me that I'm funny and B understand. I love all these people that I'm probably going to make look horrible in the stories, yep. but you have to know that I love them and I care for them. And I'm the person in the story who's actually wrong. But from my point of view, I'm making fun of them. But from your point of view, you should be laughing at me for being an idiot. Yeah. And it's like that first 10 minutes is crucial, but I'm tired of telling it. Like, I I wish I was just famous enough that everybody knew that 10 minutes. So then when I play a place, I don't have to do any of the setup. I could just go in and go, oh, man, my youngest son. And they're like, oh, boy, what did he do? Because we know he, uh, he's the one that gives you a hard time. Right. You know, but it's like I, I have to do that 10 minutes to set the table. So you know what I'm talking about as I bring things out. And storytelling is tough because you have to prove to them to trust you. So you got to come out and really, bam, bam, bam. I'm funny, right? Okay. Now that you know I'm funny, trust me, we're going to go on a ride. Follow me. And then you take them on this long story where you might not get a laugh for a few minutes, which in stand-up time is like feels like months. Yeah. You know, you're up there like they haven't laughed in five minutes, but... You see them at the edge of their seat, staring at you, making faces, riding with you on everything. And that's when you know you're killing. But if you're like a club owner and you're sitting at the bar, you're going like, oh, the room's kind of quiet. So it's like there's all this insecurity happening where it's like, man, if I was famous, I wouldn't have to do that. Or B, if you are going to do that, you really have to come right out of the gates and let them know, like, look, I can kill, but I want to do this other thing. Right where I take you on a ride. And then the laughs to me with storytelling, there's more of a payoff on the laugh. 
-hmm. when you get a storytelling laugh and you wrap up a story and people just applaud and laugh really hard because they appreciate all the work and the intricate details that you put in there to make this punchline really hit, there's something really fulfilling about it. Where if I do like a one-liner joke, it could get a laugh, but it's not as fulfilling. It's like fast food, you know, and it's like, this is a home-cooked meal. Yeah. Sorry, I went on a weird rant. Though. No, 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 I like it. <laughs> when, you, when you're writing, I'm curious about this because I think I'm like a hybrid. Like I like one-liners, but I also like storytelling. And yeah, I'm curious as to how you start writing the story. Like, do you start with a one-liner? Like, do you, do you punch them first and then lead them in that way? Because that's what I try to do. So for me, it was weird. I... I was kind of doing just set up punch stuff. I was really like a Stephen Wright and Rodney Dangerfield were the guys I thought were just the greatest comics of all all time. They still to me are. But um, I was trying to do that. And an older comic was like, why don't you act your stuff out? And I go, what do you mean? He goes, you're an actor. <laughs> You've got the degree. Act it out. <laughs> like, yeah, do that. It'll be more entertaining. Be interesting. Like you might not get a laugh right away, but like, be interesting and draw it out more. And so I started doing that. Then I, next thing I know, I started enjoying the act outs more than the scripted set up punch stuff. So then it slowly morphed into this, like where I would go and tell a parachuting story and it was 15 minutes long, but I was getting laughs throughout it. And I go, there has to be a way for me to be consistent with it. So what I did was I started writing all the facts out in black ink. I would write, all the facts. So the story was in order. Then I take blue ink and fill in to make it the commentary of it, you know, whatever the fun yeah. uh, coloring and, to, you know, not the jokes, but the coloring of it to make it interesting. Then I take green and try to add stuff that's more like act outs, the more interesting things, the that aren't necessarily jokes. And then I take a red pen and that was jokes where it was like, and that's like, boom, or, and this reminds me of, right. And then I can look at the sheet of paper and go, it's not enough jokes. There's not enough interesting. There's not enough, you know, and I can look at it without reading every word. I can kind of figure out, okay, this needs more this. And then luckily I have a, a lot of material. So sometimes I morph stories together. So it is a true story. But I add in stuff from another thing. Like I might be talking about, I don't know, making this up now because it was in my head, yeah. parachuting. But all of a sudden I go off on a rant of why I hate beaches. I might add that in there because there's just not enough funny. Like that, I go too long. And, go, and this reminds me of why I hate beaches. And then I go off on a thing. And the audience sees it as a stream of consciousness. But in reality, I knew it was going to be there. Yeah. Uh, well, well, I think that's like, for me, that's why I like Louis C.K. so much is that he knows what he's saying. I know he knows what he's saying and yeah. what he's going to say, but it doesn't look like he knows what's coming next. Yeah. Like, like, and that's like, okay, he's been doing it for a long time. That's the game. He's folding yeah. us into thinking, oh, I just came up in here and decided to shoot a special and had no idea what I was going to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> All you have to do is see him three days in a row. Right, right. And you go, ah, he's brilliant, but the magic's gone. Right. It's like seeing a magician. All of a sudden, what's this? Oh, it's a rabbit. Like, ah, ah. and then you see him, you know, the fifth time you go, oh, yeah, he obviously knows he's about to pull a rabbit out. 
(laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's what made me fall out of love with improv. You see an improv troupe that's well, you know, really well-oiled machine. And you go, that was the most amazing shit I've ever seen in my life. And then you go back the second day and you go, some of this is familiar. Then you go back the third day and you're like, oh, I get it. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, now they're going to do the post office thing. Okay, yeah. All right. oh, I, I thought most improv troops were supposed to do like like nothing is supposed to be done again. And they're not like how comics are, but you okay. see them doing a lot of the same jokes, but in different situations. Got it. Like uh, even that guy, Wayne Brady, like if you watch him, don't get me wrong. There's a brilliant thing behind doing this. But the, even the music, like the, he makes it up on the thing, but it's see enough of it and you start going oh okay all right you have some standard go-to's well it's probably similar to like dealing with hecklers yeah we we had that one insult that we can lean on yeah well you know what a great perfect example it's jazz it's jazz yeah you have the notes of the song but every once in a while they go off on riffs yeah as long as you're in the same scale you got yeah so it's like I mean, shit, you go down a rabbit hole and just watch Robin Williams clips. He does a lot of the same characters in different situations. I'm not taking anything away from his brilliance (laughs) and making the characters, but people are like, oh, my God. And it's just constantly just first thing out of his head. He goes to a lot of the same staples, which is still insanely commendable. But I, I mean, what he did on stage is unbelievable. But. It's a lot of the same characters. It's a lot of the same jokes in different situations. It's a, you know, and it's a, it's your bag of tricks. Now, before I knew what cocaine was, I was always enamored by how manic he was. And I'm like, how does a guy like that? He, first of all, how does he not slip in his own sweat? And like, <laughs> he is the hairiest guy I've ever seen. And he's in a pool of sweat. And he's bouncing from one end of the stage to the other. And I'm like, he was hard for me to to watch and also take my eyes off of. I was like, <laughs> yeah. he's going to have a heart attack on stage. I can't <laughs> look away from this guy. And the more you know about cocaine, the more you're like, this guy's going to have a heart attack on stage. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, he's. I think he's amazing. And I think yeah. the the true brilliance of him was is to be able to have that comedy career and then have that acting career. It's and insane. Have both. Like he's, there's just not many can do it, but he makes it look like it would be easy to do. That being said, like even like the genie, how the genie, he changed how animation was done because yeah. he would be in the booth just riffing and they're going, okay, we're changing the script, you know? And it's like, and the guy could improvise like nobody else, but he goes to the same characters and he knows the rules. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But his rules are different than our rules. So he's still breaking rules, but he stays in his rules. And that's part of like the brilliance of being a maniac. <laughs> like right. he was he was a maniac, but he was also like a brilliant maniac. I don't get to ask this question very often because like I don't have a whole lot of comedians and actors on the <laughs> podcast. But like you're a comedian, you're an actor. Uh do you think do you think, uh, okay, so I'm a fan of Law & Order SVU. I don't know if you watch yes. a lot of oh, but Love Law & Order. Some of the best villains are the comedians. Yes, Larry Miller was my favorite. He was a comedy club owner. Oh, yes, yeah. Killed his wife or whatever. Yep. Well, I haven't watched, um, no, I know that one. I, I don't watch Law & Order regular. 
a lot. Oh, okay. I, need, I need to. But SVU, Robin Williams was one of the best villains on that. He <laughs> he played uh, like a research scientist. And it was like the, the Milgram experiment where he he phoned in and he convinced like this woman who was working at a fast food place. Uh, I'm sorry. He convinced this, this, her boss to search her, like strip search her under the guise of him being with the cops. He wanted to expose the system. Like, oh, people are just going to follow orders. And at the end, Robin Williams gets away. I think he's one of the only people to ever get away. It's a fantastic episode. Martin Short is on there. He's incredible. Oh, yeah. He is incredible. And like just psychotic. And like, I'm wondering if being a comedian makes you a good actor. Yes. Okay. I think so. It's a different muscle. God rest his soul. But I used to, with Vic Henley, him and I used to go back and forth because he's like, are you a comedian? Or are you an actor? Pick one. Just be one. And I was like, I can't. Like, and he was like, it, but he didn't like comedians who used comedy to get acting roles. Right. Like, well, I'm not getting a lot of work, so I'll just put together five minutes of comedy and then, you know, go up at the comedy store and do whatever. But um, I think it's essentially, it's like saying being a good football player would make you a great baseball player. They're not exclusive that it would necessary, but you can use a lot of these skills to use in this one. And a lot sense. of these skills to be in this one, because uh, I know like after doing comedy to me, going to an audition, I have no nerves of like, Oh, I, I feel so weird doing this in front of it. It's like, <laughs> the shit we do are you <laughs> kidding <laughs> but it's also when they're like you know they give you a note like comedians can work on their feet where i think a lot of actors are like i want to go and prepare that can i have five minutes where a comic's like yeah can you do that but make it angry of course yeah let's just do it <laughs> so i think it does and like perfect example is like look at michael keaton he started yeah. out as a comic yep. i think he's one of the best I'm biased because I grew up by Pittsburgh. I think he's one of the best out there working. I mean, he's unbelievable. And he plays dark characters. He plays funny characters. And like for us, comics, we get put in situations where you're like, all right, we want you to do this comedy show. You get paid. You walk out on stage. And it's old people. Well, I have to change what I do to entertain them so I can get paid. You know, so it's like. If you go out and you're like, no, I just do what I do. And it's, they have to come to me. Well, you're not going to work a lot. Yeah. You know, you might go up and it's a, uh, you know, it's a bunch of college kids, like a frat party or whatever. They want dirty jokes. So you have to kind of adjust to them. You still do your same material, but you have to adjust to who's in front of you and play the room where I feel like actors, when you're acting or you're on a set, like, you're constantly getting notes. Can you do it different? Can you do it this way? Can you do it while you're smoking a cigarette? Can you do it? while? And it's like comedians are just, yeah, okay, of course, I'll change it up. I know what I'm going to say. I know what I'm going to do. I can change it because we have to change constantly where I think a lot of times well-trained actors have a harder time doing that just because they're like, I prepared mentally to do it this way. So now you want me to do it this way. I got to do a lot of adjusting where comedians and improvisers are like, I'll do it on the fly. Right. You know, like halfway through I'll switch. <laughs> I know when I see a comedian who's new on stage for like the first or second time, 
and they have really good stage presence, I always think, oh, that person has acted <laughs> and was starting comedy. I mean, forget the joke writing, but like just taking stage for standup, was that intimidating for you or were you kind of used to it by then? Well, and it was, I don't know if you know, Andrew Kennedy, I know the Andrew name. Kennedy and um, Ted Alexandro. Yep. And there was a couple other guys and they were there for my first time. Um, a guy, Todd Lynn, Eddie, if they were all there my first time going up and they were like, dude, you had the stage presence down. Like everybody was into you. You'd commanded the room as soon as you went up there. And they're like, that's usually the hardest part for a comic when they first start. That's also because comics tend to be off stage, kind of shy. And they like, I want to go out and say what I think where I was coming from. Like I'm used to being on stage. So I, I wasn't nervous or shy to get up in front of people. I just wish I had better shit. <laughs> <laughs> That's the hard part. <laughs> yeah. Shit. I need material now. <laughs> Not like I had so much public speaking experience and I, that's all I did in college. I mean, that's, yeah. I, I was a newspaper reporter. So like I'm constantly no talking shit. to people and like, that's, that was the easy part getting on stage in front of everybody. That was nothing saying <laughs> things that made people laugh. That's still the hard part. Man, I'm picturing I, you're doing crowd work. You're like, so where were you at six o'clock? Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm horrible with women. The fact that I have a girlfriend is a miracle, but <laughs> I was in state college one time and I don't know how to talk to women. I always had a reporter's notebook with me and late at night one time I went around to every woman, like every group of women who were at tables. I went around and asked them and said, Hey, I'm just, I'm taking a poll. Uh, what's the worst pickup line you've ever heard? And some would say, Oh, do your feet hurt? You know, the standard ones. And finally someone was like this one. And I'm like, <laughs> well, you, you got me. <laughs> and you, how long were you married? Yeah, basically. <laughs> It's always the one. That's the one. Yep. That'd be the girl that you end up with. No, I, I can't say, I can't say I wish now girlfriend I'm with is in the other room, but yeah. no, I, I but, but that's, that's what it is. It's like, I can do crowd work to people. I can talk to people on stage, but am I going to have a witty response back? That's always the gamble. <laughs> uh, my my theory is if i don't have anything funny to say i just ask another question <laughs> oh that's a good idea yeah but so what do you do for a living uh i i repair garbage disposals was that hard like <laughs> <laughs> no no i just uh i resort like if, if you say okay well what do you do for a living uh and they're like oh yeah i'm a, I'm a garbage man i'm like oh cool so you make more money than i do Awesome. And that always works. I'm like, okay, cool, cool. And then I'm like, okay, there's my vulnerability coming out and you can, you can trust me. I'm good. You're better than me. So no matter what I say, you can walk away saying, oh yeah, well, I'm going to be able to pay my rent. How about you? <laughs> so for me, I don't do a lot of crowd work and it's because I'm, I honestly, like a lot of times, and that sounds so narcissistic, but it's, it's not, it's out of being an idiot. I don't care. <laughs> like, I don't, like when you ask somebody what their name is, like, I don't care. I'm not going to remember it. Right. I can't be one of those guys who then goes around the room and is like, right, Steve. I'll never remember that Steve was sitting there. Yep. <laughs> or, you know, like, what do you do for a living? And it's like, I'm going to forget. And I also like, I don't, I really don't care what you do. I'm going to tell my little jokes and then get off stage. 
<laughs> I'm a shitty crowd work guy. Well, I, like I think it's such a valuable experience, but like if you're, I assume you're not hosting too many shows anymore. No, I, so, I like, love hosting though. Yeah. Like I host pretty much every show I'm on. And I think at that point it helps me, especially if I'm going out of town to just say something. And I, yeah. I don't rely on crowd work. Like I want to get to the point where I'm like, you know what? I'm going to bring this five minutes and I'm going to leave six or seven minutes to just do crowd work. I would yeah. love to get to that point, but I'm like, mm, I'm not there yet. And yeah. for me, it's like, well, the only way I can work on crowd work is by going to shows and doing them or doing yeah. the crowd work at shows. I can't, I can't rely on my open mic scene because they all know me. <laughs> like, yeah. I know this guy just got fired. So <laughs> and he ain't getting well, another job soon. For me, I even when I host, I, like I'm gonna do the stuff I had prepared unless something presents itself or something like sticks out. Like if I do see somebody that I'm like, holy shit, you look like my cousin, I'll, I'll say something to him and I'll talk to him and ha- genuinely talk to him. But I never like think like I'm gonna go out and talk to these people because it's like I don't think I always feel weird doing it. I, and I guess it's because I've, I've, I guess I just there's some people who are really good at it and some people who aren't. And I hate saying it, but it's because it sounds narcissistic, but it's like, I just want to do my prepared things that I have. And that's it. Like, I'll talk to you after the show all night at the bar. I'll talk to you all night and I'll be funny and charming and witty. I can't do it when I'm on stage. I just feel like when you're talking to the one guy, the guy over there who also paid for a ticket's like, I don't give a shit about that guy. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I'm kind of the opposite way where just off stage, I, uh, if they come up to me, I'm cool with talking to them. Yeah. But if I approach somebody like going back to like being bad with women, I, also, <laughs> my default is that nobody wants to talk to me. <laughs> like, so like, I feel like, I feel like if I'm going to walk up to them, I'm kind of ruining their day. <laughs> like, it, We had a good flow going on. Just the three of us. Why are you here? So I will absolutely talk to anybody for as long as they want. But man, they got to approach me first. <laughs> my old roommate and my wife make fun of me to no end because I will talk to every single person that came to the show after the show. Before a show, I don't like talking to people because my brain's in game mode. Yeah. And I'm kind of like, you know, going, I'm trying to get in the right headspace. During the show, I don't want to do it because I prepared material for you. So I'm just going to do my material. After the show, my wife says, you set up your merch table. Somebody hands you a beer. You'll talk to the furniture. (laughs) Like, you'll just sit there and talk to every single person that walks out. And we're always the last to leave because I'll talk to the owner. I'll I'll talk to the wait staff. I'll talk to the guy who has to clean the floor. And I'll just sit there. And I probably most of the time they're like, would this guy just leave? Yep. But I was just like, so then I don't don't, don't, (laughs) know. I think my girlfriend's favorite night of seeing me do comedy is the one time she drove separately <laughs> because she was able to get home 20 minutes faster than I could. And I, I stayed there and I'm like, I talked to the owner. I talked to the comedians. I talked to a couple of people and like, it's, yeah. it, it, take, it takes me forever to get going. Yeah. And forget like, it. Yeah, if you I'll, buy I'll me a home. drink after the show, you buy me a drink after the show, you're getting 20 more minutes. Yeah. <laughs> How long were you in New York city? Uh, so let's see. I moved there in 99. I left 2016. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. How much do you think that helped? Like that scene helped you develop? Oh yeah. I mean, just the um, reps in the competition, I would think. 
I look at when I go places like uh, uh, I'll go to another town. I won't say another city because sometimes I feel like city and I go, man, if I started here, I don't think I would have done it. Yeah. Because like with New York, it was like also I was blessed with having friends that were high on the food chain when I was just starting. So I got a lot of things kind of handed to me that I didn't work as hard as I see other people, they work so hard and just to get a little bit. And I was like, man, and especially now how everything's like a bringer show and yeah. everything's, a, I look at comics who are starting now and I go, I would have quit. <laughs> oh, soon. I would have been a guy who did it for a month. And I was like, yeah, I'm out. Like I, I was very fortunate and had friends who uh, I bypassed a lot of steps and I see like how hard guys work for the part that's not the part you should be working hard for. Getting up on stage should not be as hard as it is. I work really hard on my material. I work really hard on writing. I work really hard on the showmanship of it. But like even I have so many friends that you should got to get on TikTok. You can get all these followers and yeah. clubs will look at you. I don't give a fuck at all about social media, about TikTok, getting a brand. That's not my job. My job is to just write and perform and do that. And I look at like guys who are just trying to break out now and that's all they care about. Like I work enough. I work any weekend I need. I I work any um, weekdays I could work, but I have kids. So I try not to take weekday work. But if I was like, a newer comic and struggling to get stage, I probably quit. I can't do this. Like worry about my TikTok following, make sure I'm putting up one video a day, worried about what's my Instagram. Like I put up stuff. So hopefully the people who follow me will come out and see a show. Yeah. I'm not interested in writing for TikTok, you know, like, is it's a separate career. It's like, you have to figure out, okay, now I have to do this so I can get this. So I have a TikTok following. So then I can get the stand-up thing that I actually want to do. I can only work on the thing I actually want to do. I admire anybody who does the other stuff. My brain doesn't work that way. I have too much on. I, I can't juggle 50 balls. I can only juggle like four. Uh, <laughs> try to do the four I can juggle with. I'm going to do the best I can. But all the other stuff, I just can't do it. How are you able to balance like... because? I mean, I, I'm just looking at your, your Facebook feed and like you're directing too, right? Yeah. You're directing, yeah. you're acting, you're doing stand up. How are you able to balance that schedule? Well, because it's shit I want to do. <laughs> <laughs> Simple. <laughs> TikTok, I, uh, I don't have any time for it. I don't right. even, I think I have an account because somebody told me to look at it, but like I don't have an Instagram following. I don't do, to me, that stuff to get the stuff I want. Why don't right. I just do the stuff I want? I mean, if I just wanted to be a stand-up comic and that was it, I guess, yeah. All right. I would try to figure out TikTok or like I have a podcast that I do with my buddy, Richie Byrne. And, you know, everybody's like, well, what's your following like? And I'm like, I have no idea. I have no idea. There's a guy who looks at that shit and he tells us to do stuff to get more followers. And I'm like, no, if somebody likes what I do, they can come and listen to it. But I, I like doing the podcast because it's that if I was worried about like, you know, well, your thumbnail has to be a specific 
picture and you're not allowed to have so many words. I, I don't, I don't care. Is the content <laughs> good? Are we interviewing interesting people? That's what I care about. I don't like with stand up. There's these people who've been doing comedy two years and they're telling me about branding, how I should be doing branding. And I'm like, I've been making a living at this for 20 years. I'm happy. Yes. If somebody else did the branding thing for me, that'd be awesome. And I would love it. And it'd probably help my career, but I don't have time to put into that because any extra time I have, I'm going to be writing. I'll be trying to get some directing work. I'm going to try to like, I just want to do the art part. And I I know it, it sounds simple to say because I'm doing it, but like, I think more people need to just worry about that. Just get really good at what the thing you want to do. The other shit is a distraction. It takes away from you doing what you want to do. And I I saw it when MySpace came out and everybody's like, oh, you got to get a million friends and, and you do whatever. And it's like, yeah, but you're not working on your act. So you can have a million friends. They're going to come see you do mediocre comedy. Like, don't you want to do your best comedy, do your best acting, do your best writing? I know comedians locally in New York who were pretty good stand-ups. And the pandemic played a bit of a role, but like TikTok came around and I haven't seen them on stage since. And it's like, yeah. yeah, they're doing well on TikTok and some of them are making money, probably more money than they, you know, made doing stand-up. But it's like And that's great. Yeah. That's it's like great. But don't you you like stand-up? Like I don't, like I, I don't think I would never want to get involved with something that took me away from the thing I love most. Yeah. Like, I don't I know, mean, like, like you're sacrificing a little bit. I don't, but I've always been this way. I don't have a lot of extracurricular things. I don't go out and play cards. I, I'm not on a softball team. I don't do any of the like that kind of stuff because I make a living doing what I would do for free. I love stand up and I have this, you know, uh, writing and acting and directing career that I also love. But I also have a great family and I just want to be around them when I'm not doing that stuff. So like they're guys and they, you know, whatever they play poker on the side. And I guess that's fun for them. And it's not fun for me, but it's the same way I feel about like the TikTok thing is like, to me, it's extracurricular shit. And if you're into it, great. I'm not judging you do it and get your following. But to me, I'm trying to maintain my career of like getting work trying to maintain getting the work I want, that to me is like a whole nother job. And I, I just, there are guys who are great at it. And they, like you were saying, they're probably making money doing it. And that's awesome. I'm not taking anything away from them. It's just not for me. <laughs> are you ever bored? No. Yeah. Cause like, I mean, you're busy enough and you're doing at least the three things that you really love doing. Yeah. You know, I mean, plus being a dad, I guess, I guess it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I mean, if there was a way, like, I mean, whatever people say, like, if you won the lottery, would you still do what you do? I would exactly be doing the exact same thing I'm yeah. doing, except I'd be pickier. <laughs> I wouldn't take, I, there are certain gigs I would just say no to because I don't need the money and I don't feel like being away that long or, you know, whatever, because I'd rather spend having kids made me put a price tag on time where I never did that before. It used to be, what does it pay? Okay, I'll do it. Now it's like, what will it pay? Well, how long will I be away? What do you expect of me? Okay, I hate to say no, but I'm going to say no because you, it's not worth that much money to be away from my kids that long. As a comedian, how important is that to set that boundary? I think it's really important. If you say yes to everything, you're never going to 
move forward because the bottom rung, the big one will suck you in and you'll never leave that. I mean, I know guys and maybe they have great day jobs, so they don't care. But like, I know guys that were doing it way before me when I first started 20 years ago that were doing open mics. And then I see they're still doing the same open mics in New York. I hit a point maybe five years in, I said, I'm not doing open mics anymore. I'm not getting nothing out of it. And I just quit doing them. And if I need to work on material, I'll take a gig that isn't as important. The, you know, like, cause a corporate gig, you obviously don't want to go up and start working out material. Right. 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 But like, I'll do a gig, like a local one in the Philly area or whatever that I know is like, Hey, they're going to give you an hour. Not every joke has to crush in that hour. So I'll throw some new ones in or do whatever, because it's a, not that I want to judge it on being a low paying gig or whatever, but it's not as important where it's like, yeah, I know I can still come back and I'll still work for this person. But like at a a gig where the expectations are higher, I might not do that. (laughs) That makes sense. I worked with, I mean, I'm at a different level. Like I'm six years in and I know I can't do that. Like I can't go and maybe I can work out a joke or two, but I can't say, okay, well, there's this seven minute chunk that I'm going to put in the middle of my 20 minute set and we'll see if it works. But like, I know I worked with people. I think you can do it with two minutes of your act and a 20 minute set. Two minutes ago, I'll do brand new shit. It's weird. I feel like if I gave it a percentage, it'd be like, you can give 10% of your set to you. That's a good way to think about it. You know, it's like 10% of this is going to be for me whether I'm working on a new bit or I'm going to riff for 10 minutes on something that maybe, you know, it might come up or whatever, or I'll do crowd work, which won't, I won't do, but. <laughs> well, I just, I like doing a little bit of that because I just did a show in Oneonta last weekend and a little bit of crowd work opened up and I just asked the question and then I thought about it. I'm like, Oh yeah. Like it was kind of a bit that I was thinking about and I was like, maybe I can develop that. And that little bit, and I got a laugh out of what I said. I'm like, let me take that back and work on it. And now I've, got, now I've got like a two minute bit on it. And I'm like, okay, so yeah. let me let me work that out a little bit more. Maybe it can get it longer. But regardless, I have something from just this little ad lib on stage. Uh, one joke I had, I mean, I, I care with me. It kills. It always works. And I asked, I have a joke where like, I've got three cats and I'm like, yeah, I always celebrate my cat's birthdays. Does anybody not celebrate their pet's birthday? And this woman said, no, I, I don't because and I asked her why. And she goes, because my cat's adopted. And I'm like, yeah, that, I was like, yeah, that, that's kind of how it works. Like I didn't think you gave birth to the fucking cat and that killed. And so I've been carrying that with me for anytime I do that chunk of material on my cats, I've got that one. And it yeah. always works. And I'm like, oh, okay. I see you would be a shitty, you know, step. You're the reason Cinderella went to the ball. Right. <laughs> like, and there's, and there's so much more I can do with it, but I'm like, right now I'm like, I don't need to do anything else with that little chunk, but yeah, yeah that, that's what I like to do. And it's like, so that's my little bit of a, okay, that's for me. Like, let's yeah. go off on that. And you have to have, I think to keep it interesting, cause you don't want to just go up and do greatest hits every show. Yeah. Cause you, then you're just an actor. You're just reciting your lines and trying to make it seem like you care. You have to do stuff to keep it interesting. There was a show and you can still find it. It's on YouTube. And I think it's maybe the greatest thing to happen to stand up comedy. It's called set list. 
There's a guy, Troy Conrad started it and Provenza and Rick Overton, they were like a big part of it. And I got really excited watching it. And then I got to do it in Atlanta. And then I started trying to add it into my set, but I found the flaw of doing this is I would go, all right, give me a yell out a topic. And then I just riff on it. But the problem yeah. is if you ask a live audience, they just immediately go for lowest common then 911. Like, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, let's riff, let's riff on that. <laughs> That's not gonna um, get me in trouble. <laughs> but it's like uh if you watch it, they get their set list presented to them in the moment. So they've never seen it before. So they have to, but you have comedians writing the topics. So they're actually very interesting and very fun to riff off of. And uh, we did a generic version of it, but I was trying to figure out how to bring that into my act. So I would do that for my 10% of it for me. Cause I do like riffing off of stuff, which is funny, but I don't like doing crowd work, but it's because I don't know the crowd member. And I mean, Chris Rock got slapped by somebody right. because he didn't know she had alopecia or whatever. And he made a joke, which I don't think was a joke. It was a side, it was a C joke, you know, yeah, that yeah, was yeah. a, and it's like, so I don't want to, I don't like going back and forth with someone because you never know what their buttons are that you might push, but I love riffing. I love if something comes up and I know it's safe to jump on. And just going off on it, you know, I mean, it's like why I love podcasting. We can say something and then just, you know, run back and forth with it. Yeah, but yeah. Um, And then you could trust the editor to take out all the slurs. <laughs> yeah, I didn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> That's definitely a deep fake video. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like, uh, yeah, I mean. Jesus, I don't know, man. I look now at the the horizon of comedy, and I'm not even talking about PC or any of that shit. I'm looking at how hard it is. You're only six years in. Shit, if I was at six years in me in now's time, I fuck. It's tough. I don't know how you guys do it. The only way I'm able to do what I'm doing is I produce a lot of shows. That's how I'm making money. And if I was just waiting for somebody to ask me once a month to do a, a job, I'd be like, ugh, I don't yeah. know how much longer I can do this. Or I would get impatient. Uh, the fact that yeah. I'm writing my own schedule helps my brain say, okay, you're doing it the right way. Like you're going yeah. in the right direction at least. Yeah. So otherwise, like like if I was in New York City trying to do open mics for six years, I probably would have quit too. Yeah. I don't know how these guys do it. And they're bringer shows and they have to hang out at the clubs and kiss people's asses and do it like they got to make sure their TikTok followings up. They have to make sure their Instagram's interesting. I feel like you're doing everything other than being a comedian. Right. It's like you're living the lifestyle without any of the good shit. Like the good stuff happens on stage. So I want to be on stage and I want to be on stage for long sets. I don't want to go up and do five minutes at a club. Or, you know, at a bar show or at a, a open mic. Like, I want to do a long set. I want to be at a club or a theater where I can do my thing. If I'm acting or doing a directing thing, I want to put that other stuff on pause. And I'm just going to worry about directing this script. And I'm going to read the script a million times, know it inside and out. Make sure the actors are doing their stuff. See that it's shot the way I want it shot. I don't want to fucking do TikTok videos so I can make a movie. You know what I mean? It's like, I just want to do the movie part. Right. 
And I feel like I was never good at schmoozing. I was good at it with my friends because I was hanging out. But like to go to a club and kiss some guy's ass, they know you're there to kiss their ass. To me, that's wasting time. I'd rather be getting up. And it's one of the reasons why when we left New York, I wasn't so heartbroken. People are like, when you left New York, I mean, that's where all your work was. And it was like, yeah, but every couple of years, everything switches over. Then you got to go kiss those people's asses. And I, I just want to work. Yeah. Like, I, I don't care about the politics of stand up or acting and trying to like make sure I'm kissing the right guy's ass. It's like, I just, I hope you hire me because you like what I do. And that's it. I was never good at the hanging out, which is funny because the whole circle of what we talked about when we first hopped on about no assholes, you know, like don't be an asshole. But to me, kissing someone's ass and not being an asshole are two different things. You know, it's like I'm not good at the ass kissing part at all. Yeah. I'm not good at that. And I'm not good at being an asshole. And I can't, I can't be an (laughs) asshole. Like I, I try, there's one person who I'm a little colder to because I just don't like that person one bit. And like, (laughs) and I can't hide it. I just can't. So my friends (laughs) will just take delight and seeing how I react and I'm not mean, but I'm just, yep. Uh, uh, I'm just short. And I'm like, just please read the nonverbals, which he or she cannot do. (laughs) <laughs> so I'm like, so it's almost like a game. Like, yeah. Do you ever watch It's Always Sunny? Oh yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. So Gail the Snail, their cousin. <laughs> like nobody wants to throw salt on a person, but you have to. And that's that's what this person is to me, a snail. Where I have to be a little mean to get the point across, and I don't even think I'm doing that well. <laughs> so. I'm with you, dude. I just did a gig with somebody, and they I had two rules on the gig, and. uh the person royally screwed me over on a couple of things and I vowed I'm done with that person. I'm done with them. <laughs> a month later, For we now. ran into each other. I poly- we had both went back and forth. He saw why I was upset at him. I accepted his apology. I ended up getting him a gig. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we're working together again. I- but I vowed, swore <laughs> my enemy. <laughs> I take so many hard stances. Oh, I'm never going to book this person again. I will never book that person again. And the minute I see them, I'm like, well, Hey, what are you doing Friday? I got a spot (laughs) for you if you want. (laughs) And my buddies will kill me. They're like, I thought you said, I'm like, I know what you thought I said. It didn't work. (laughs) It didn't take, (laughs) but I can't, that's like, I'm too nice a guy. Like I, I see (laughs) I'm running like 20 some rooms and I feel like if I don't book somebody, I feel like they're not going to get work and I don't want to be the reason they quit comedy. And that's a whole lot of pressure I'm putting on myself that doesn't need to be there because I'm thinking, I'm thinking way too much of myself, but it's like, (laughs) man, I just want to be, I want to be everybody's friend. I want everybody to like me and I want to be the good guy. And I, why you went in the comedy. That's why most people go in the comedy. Yeah. Then they get into it and they start going, I don't care what people think. Yeah, I'm not doing this. Why anymore. are you doing comedy? <laughs> do you have? I ask everybody this. Do you remember the worst set you've ever had? The worst show? Oh boy. Um, and I don't say oh boy because it's like, uh, but I do have. I actually did this at a storytelling show. There's two that really stick out in my mind. Uh, or three. Two of them were in the same town, and <laughs> I lived there for a little bit um, when we were looking for our place in Ambler. I had a guy think because of the bill burr thing where they booed him 
They thought that's what they were supposed to do. So I went up and it was the first time my father-in-law came to see me and it was at a country club and I didn't even get to the microphone and they were screaming at the stage. Like the guy announced my name and they were screaming at the stage. They were yelling so loud that like five minutes into my thing, I was like, I fuck all of you. And I just threw the mic and walked. I told the guy, you don't have to pay me. I'm done. And I walked off. That was like, I still see the hatred in some of those people's eyes. Like at night, I'll be laying there and going, why would you hate somebody <laughs> that bad? Like, just like, boo, you suck. And it was just like, why would you ever think that was okay? Like, did you not have parents? Like, <laughs> were you just, that's one that still to this day bothers me of like, I didn't even do anything. Like, I understood if I did something to set you off. These people, it was like, it had to be what it was like to be like, and I'm not comparing comedy to this, but like how like a Jewish person must have felt in the 40s when it's like, why do you hate us so much? Right. What do we do to you? What the fuck? All I did is exist. (laughs) (laughs) And there was just hatred in their eyes. And I didn't even do anything yet. Like I didn't even get to the stage. They were calling me a faggot. (laughs) they didn't even know what i looked like like they have not witnessed a second of my presence and they're screaming that at the stage and it was just like this is how people get like lynched right like like, like, anger you're like hey there's one person in this audience who can prove that i'm not gay (laughs) he was at the wedding (laughs) that was the weirdest thing ever to just like holy shit that's what hate is okay Like, I've had people not like me, but that was hate. (laughs) So on the opposite spectrum, I was in, um, no, this one was in the same town, uh, same town. I was at a casino, and I don't know where what happened. I had friends in the audience, and they came up to me after and goes, what was that about? I was like, I have no idea. A guy stood up and just started saying he was going to kill me after the show. And he just started screaming. He's like, I'll fucking kill you. I'll gut you. I'll blow your car up. And I'm sitting there like, I don't know what I did, sir. <laughs> Obviously, I pissed you off. Let me buy you a drink. And he just kept yelling shit. And then I realized he had like like all these empty glasses by him. And he was with his family. And there's a bunch of people that were just like this at his table. And I go, oh, you just drank too much. Yeah. Next Thanksgiving, you're going to be like, hey, let's crack open a bottle of wine. And they're like, no, not on the <laughs> Remember last time he got drunk, he tried to kill a comedian at a casino and he told me he was going to put a bomb on the bottom of my car. And I was like, if you're a a mob hitman, you're the worst because there's 200 witnesses here. But then I remember turning to the the back of the, it was at a casino and I turned to the back of the room and go, what are you going to do to get kicked out of this casino? (laughs) Like, I, I finished the thing and the whole time the guy's sitting there going to you oh oh he's, yeah. he's doing that to you okay doing the, like, the like, i'm gonna yeah. split your throat and i was yeah. just like what the fuck was that about like he was like honest guy i don't think he was trying to be funny or that like you know sometimes you get a heckler that and they're like i set you up pretty good huh oh yeah, yeah. Like, yeah no like i have an act i don't <laughs> need you those were the two worst that were like I still don't understand where that came from. I don't. And it was in the same town. So I, those were the two worst that were just like, eh. 
there's one that's kind of comical. I told this story uh, on the story on the moth, the storytelling thing. I was in Columbus, Ohio, and they had an urban show. I was there for a rate. I had a corporate thing for it was the Young Democrats of America. It was when Obama was running, and they hired right. me to come in and do a, a comedy thing. So I come in, I do that. I go to the Funny Bone, and I do the a guest spot on the regular show, and then. Um, a guy was like, hey, we have an urban show after. If you want to stick around, I'll throw you some money, do a spot. I'm like, yeah, I, don't, I live in New York City. I, I do, you know, where it's like all black lineups. I've done that many a times and it always goes well. They usually laugh at how dorky I am. <laughs> and <laughs> I didn't know this is when Dave Chappelle disappeared, mm-hmm. but he bought a the house that's now famous that he did all those shows during the pandemic. He has that farm in Ohio and it's in right outside of Columbus. So apparently he was showing up at the club unannounced and doing guest spots. I had no idea that was a thing. So the MC is just doing, he's basically Reggie from the nutty professor. Okay. Doing the, your mama jokes and making fun of everybody in the crowd he brings up the first comic and the, it was the kid's first time and he bombed and they played him off the music and they were booing him and shit. I was like, oh, this is going to be a rough room, but <laughs> ah, I've been doing it enough. I think I'll be fine. So the MC goes up and he goes, this next comic, it's a pleasure to bring him up. This guy is originally from Ohio, which Chappelle is. He's originally from Ohio. He went out to uh, New York and did his thing and uh, you might have seen him on TV, but now he's back in Ohio. You guys make some noise. They think Chappelle's here. I'm telling you, they're on their feet. People are standing on tables like, yeah, <laughs> I'll never forget. They played the naughty by nature. And I'm walking up to the stage. And they don't see me. Everybody's standing and cheering. I get on stage. And they just see dorky me walking to the microphone. And the DJ actually took the needle on the record and went. And the room goes dead silent. You could hear a pin drop. And if I was a better comic, then I probably would have made a joke immediately about that. Like, not what you're expecting, huh? Right. But I was just like, I'm going to win them over. I'm going to win them over. So I start doing my jokes. And I'm telling you. Nothing got a laugh. Nothing. (laughs) I was like two or three minutes in, didn't get a single laugh. I could hear some woman in the front row actually did the like cleaned her teeth, did the like, and I could hear it from the stage. (laughs) (laughs) I was bombing. I could hear eyes rolling. It was that bad. And then in the back of the room, some guy just yells out, McCain voting looking motherfucker. And just as he said that, the DJ put on Phil Collins. I can feel it coming in the air tonight. And I was like, when the audience is funnier than you, time to call it. And I walked out. <laughs> that was shit. the worst bombing. The oh other ones God. I don't consider bombing, but that was like hateful, hateful shit. This was a, just a bombing. Did Chappelle ever show like- up? I mean, he was showing up regularly, not that night. Oh, man, they got nothing then. <laughs> yeah, they fucking <laughs> poor bastards. <laughs> <laughs> that was the longest drive home ever. Man, 
So, so you're from Youngstown, right? Yeah. Okay. So you're going back to Rubber City Comedy Festival. Yes. And now, how is that exciting for you to go back to Ohio and, and yeah, the, the stage? And, and the club there. Have you been there? The Funny Stop. No. It is one of my favorite clubs in the country. The owner Pete is this Lebanese dude, and he has a heavy accent, and he. He is the Lebanese Don Rickles. He makes fun of everybody, but the jokes don't make sense, which makes it even funnier. <laughs> I'll be like, hey, nice hat. How's Milwaukee? <laughs> like, I don't know. I don't know, Pete. <laughs> Don Jameson got sideburns, look like he make two lane highway into four. <laughs> and he's just so lovable and funny. He's the greatest, and he has a huge heart. He's one of those guys, if you go up to him and you kiss his ass, he'll call you out on it. Oh, really? Like, he'll just call you. I still not to give you stage time. You're not funny. <laughs> He's the funniest guy. But, like, once you get to know him, like, and he likes you, there's never anybody more giving. He's given me bonuses on weekends that I've worked there where, you know, we agreed on a number. They had a good week. He gave me more money. And it was an asked for. I didn't say anything. He just, he knows, hey, it's tough out there. And if I'm doing good, you do good. He's beyond a good person. I, I would do anything for Pete. Have you done that <laughs> festival before? I've never done that festival. I've, I've seen it. And I was like, oh, I'd love to do that. Just because Young sounds like an hour north of Akron. But I actually went K through four in Akron. I lived in Akron for uh, the very early years. So it's like there's something about Akron that I really love. Akron's tough, man. I my buddy lives out there, and we we went there, and he worked at the university. And afterward, we, zip. yeah, we yep, he's a zip. We walked through the the city, and I'm like, oh, that's a cool pawn shop. Cool. <laughs> he's like, you want to see another one? We got another one. <laughs> <laughs> pawn shops and bars. Yeah, <laughs> that's what Akron's about. I go in there, and I'm like, the first thing I see is like like a thurman munson almost memorial from when he crashed I'm like oh yeah. neat that, <laughs> yeah thurman munson is like the pride of akron man he yeah. was uh, uh my dad actually worked at that airport where he oh crashed. really yeah yeah um, i passed that airport to get to my buddy's house it was like oh, okay. he must have lived like five minutes from there yeah my dad worked there and then he that's actually where the airport is is really close to where I lived when I was younger. And then my dad switched. He worked in Cleveland for a while. Then he switched to uh, Youngstown. They have an Air Force base. So that's what made us go to Youngstown. But uh, yeah, Akron, Canton, Akron, Cuyahoga Falls, that area is like, to me, it's kind of comfort food. Yeah. Like I drive around and I'm like, I remember this as a little kid. I remember that house. I remember that thing. It always makes me think of Major League. (laughs) <laughs> that's like, a, yeah i mean major league is probably top five movies of all time for me because when i was uh, 10, when i was 10 years I old I, I got a tape like a vhs and i just watched it over and over and over again and uh yes yeah. i haven't done this on stage yet and i need to but <laughs> i wanted so badly for my high school and college girlfriend we dated four years i wanted her to watch major league with me and i'd play it we'd be laying on my so. bed playing it and randy newman would start singing the I don't know if it's, I don't know what the name of the song. Moon rising. Yes. So we're watching that, and then automatically she would just start making out with me, and then things would lead to adult stuff. And I'm like, fine, 
but then she'd be like, all right, let's go do something else. And I'm like, like, no, I, one of these times I want to watch, I want to watch the movie. I, I'm okay to have, fine. I'll have sex with you, but can we please watch the movie? Like, I'd want to pause it, but like I'm having sex with this woman. And all I can think is, oh, Jake Taylor. (laughs) <laughs> you're gonna, gonna be out that boat later, aren't you, pal? <laughs> like, but, That's uh, I would I would have I would already be finished lying and completely ready before spring training. Absolutely, like, I, I'm not gonna <laughs> like, miss Willie Mays Hayes like impressing these guys running <laughs> running out in his pajamas. Just... Doesn't even have shoes on. <laughs> Somebody find that guy a uniform. <laughs> Say hey, Willie Mays Hayes, dude! It's such a great movie. What's your favorite? What's your favorite? There's a lot of bad moments in the movie that makes it really funny. My brother and I have like 50 lines that you can just say and we just crack up. Oh, Uh, man. My favorite is uh, we make fun of Tom Berenger's character when he calls the restaurant from the restaurant. Yeah, yeah. And he's really like in the script, you know, when they wrote it, they were like, this will be where we really show he's a ladies man. But the line's so bad. He's like, I bet you're wearing that red, uh, that black dress with the red sash. And then he just <laughs> turns and looks at her and goes. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have this when we were together. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I don't know what my favorite line of that movie is. I think the one I go back to is, I swear I didn't know. I didn't know who she was. But when Rick Vaughn had said, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Wife, hey, Jake. <laughs> it's that movie to me is perfect like i wouldn't change a thing about it and, uh, i even like the sequels i i like oh they, me too they diminish yeah. but yeah, yeah they slowly so I guess, and I, part two was good it was good i just wish I, my main critique on that one is i wish they kept wesley snipes yeah you know you change an actor you know whatever yeah that's tough but no it was a fine movie and i like the storyline with it and it's awesome to watch on a rainy day <laughs> I, the the old man picture the picture oh, oh yeah man. yep eddie harris uh, yeah oh, he's yeah fucking, the first one right he's so good it's it's so funny because like i'll i'll see that actor in a lot of other movies and i'm like that's eddie harris like <laughs> vagisol bardol Why? Like, well you got all this shit on your chest you put snot on the <laughs> ball <laughs> ain't got an arm like you <laughs> one, day, one day you will too it's so good I got my girlfriend to watch Major League, and like that was the one I'm dating now. And yeah. I was like, and I told her, so I'm like, listen, this is really important to me that you watch the movie. She's like, <laughs> she's like, you mean, you mean I don't have to have sex with you for an hour and a half? Sign me up. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a great movie. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Let's watch the sequels. <laughs> hey, this is amazing. I, I love talking to you. What are you working on? I mean, do you want to plug anything? I just wrapped on a movie we haven't even edited it yet called um through open doors which i uh i just watched all the footage yesterday and was putting them in order and doing all the groundwork and i'm really i know it's going to be i'm going to be proud of it i got that and then i also have a podcast with my buddy richie Byrne, drinks jokes and storytelling and uh we should have you on you should come on it's a Absolutely. lot of fun we basically talk a lot about street jokes and get it drunk and yeah. And just talk about whatever's going on in your life. But uh, it's a lot of fun. We had some great guests. We had like Dan Loria, the dad from the wonder years. No we fucking had, way. Yeah. We've had you, Dr. Oz on by the way, 30 Dan Loria on law and order SU twice. 
Nice. <laughs> he played Vince Lombardi on Broadway. He was, uh, Did he really? Yeah, he tells this great. He would. He used to play cards with all these great, like great old time Hollywood people. But he told us this great story about how good of a person Frank Sinatra was. Oh wow! Which, it's just crazy to think like the stories he tells are just like holy shit. <laughs> like you're old school. He was great. But we've had like some NASCAR racers on and different things. It's a lot of fun. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. And so check out drinks, jokes, and storytelling. <laughs> Anything else? I, I mean, no, I don't want to change good. it at all. No, no, no. <laughs> Follow me on TikTok and Instagram. <laughs> because... <laughs> you might might have a video up there sometime. I think I have one video up and it's of my kid fake farting. And then I... <laughs> I, I put the video up and somebody was telling me how to do it. So they walked me through it and I put up one video and I was like, yeah, I'm never doing this again. <laughs> and I erased the app off my phone. I think I got rid of it. I don't know if I did it right, but it's not on my phone anymore. It's like you can have fun with your TikTok. I'm going to make an actual movie. <laughs> yeah, that, that's uh, how I feel. It's like I didn't go to acting school to fucking make a TikTok video. It's the same when Vine was a thing like wants to do this shit you get six seconds to... no <laughs> <laughs> well man again thank you so much for everything and have fun with everything Let, yeah let's do it again got it man outside your bedroom i hope they let me in